What's going on, Skytown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K, and with me live in my dining room is Christopher Pennant. Chris, how you doing, man? This is kind of out of the ordinary for us. Dude, it's crazy out here. There's decorative gourds right here, dude. Look, we got we got candles. Look at all this. Look at everything right here, man. Look, I didn't even know James liked Halloween like that. Look at that. My man stays at Joe and Fabric. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this pumpkin. That's all my girlfriend, man. My girlfriend <laughs> loves interior design. She's like, let's do something for Halloween and get, you know, jazz this place up a little bit. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I think I'm okay with just the mundane look. But it's like you brought you brought in that one pumpkin. You're like, hey, it's Halloween now. We could use that. We yeah. could use that at my place. We have nothing. We have nothing in our loft. Well, you can take all this shit because I don't want it, man. <laughs> you, said, you see how quiet he said that? <laughs> I feel like Maggie can hear that even thing <laughs> seven miles away. But it's good to be back on the pod with you because it's been a little bit since I think. The last podcast was right after the Las Vegas Aces beat the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA Finals, and a lot has kind of happened since then, man. I mean, the Sun just lost their head coach and general manager in Kurt Miller, who agreed to terms on a deal with the Los Angeles Sparks, who were looking to replace interim head coach Fred Williams. And I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. I wasn't terribly shocked by it, given, oh, yeah, see, right there, Chris is already making that face. This is great. Um, so well, tell me your thoughts about this, Chris. I mean, you again, you weren't shocked by it. I mean, why did you feel that way? Well, we we knew, I think, going into the playoffs that Kurt Miller was, and um, some were playing for his job. They were playing for his job. And we, we talked about that. You said that they should retain him as general manager, maybe not as coach. And after some thought, I, I agreed with you. And we all saw the the famous soundbite during the playoffs of Kurt Miller asking the team, can anybody make a layup? It's like, I'm going to get fired if we can't make a layup. And I guess we we were right and wrong, and he was wrong and right, because he didn't get fired. He dipped out before they had a chance to fire him. So it's always better on your resume if you resign rather than get terminated. So I will fully admit that even when I posted on Twitter, my big I told you so, I was wrong in that respect. But I think that the Sun and Kurt Miller had run their course together. And I like this move. I don't want to get into it yet because we haven't gone back and forth on that. But I was not surprised. I think that their time had run its course. When you get to the finals twice, have a have the team on paper that should win and don't win or don't really come. Well, they came close the first time. They did not come close the second time. I don't know what else you can really do. The, the Sun are at a crossroads and, and Kurt got out while the time was right for him. I think so, too. And the next reported that the agreement for Kurt to move on was mutual. And it is kind of interesting because you look at how the organization was structured with Kurt got his extension when the team president, Jen Rosati, was not there. And it did feel like when you have new leadership, leadership wants to steer it's like, you know, steer the ship by itself or at least with people that they picked for certain positions and it did kind of seem like the writing was on the wall. I mean, the way that Kurt talked about his role this past season, where he said, this is the least amount of coaching I've done since I've been with the Sun, you know, and it kind of made sense for this to play out the way that it did, because I think Kurt Miller is actually a good coach. I do think that there are some things where every coach, like there's certain instances or games that coaches would like to have back. Same thing with players. It is just so hard being both, a general manager and a head coach, when those responsibilities, I mean, it requires two people and kudos to James Wade for being able to make that work. But even then, I mean, he struggled with it at the top of his tenure with the Chicago Sky. So it kind of made sense that Kurt was able to move on, go to a situation where the LA Sparks only have two guaranteed contracts heading into next year. And he can mold the roster along with whoever becomes the next general manager. Maybe we can talk about that in a sec, but it is, it did kind of make sense. Just give it the vibes just felt so off in those post-game pressers when he was talking about certain things. And I wasn't shocked by this. And I think it makes sense for both sides as well. Yeah. I, I can't say more than that. I think it's it's going to be, it's, it's odd. I think when you have a position like head coach plus general manager, as you do in the WNBA, 
And a lot of coaches have succeeded with it because that's the system that's in place. And until the system changes league wide, that's going to be the system that's in place. It's like having player coaches, player managers for the first half of the 20th century before that went out of fashion. So I think it's something that we've seen coaches succeed at many times over. And I think it's odd that they, I don't think it's odd that he was hired as a coach because I think he's a coach first and foremost. Yeah. But I think his ability to identify talent, which is what you alluded to, is very good. It's putting the talent together that is the issue and making it achieve to its highest potential together, which is the issue. That's going to be the main focus in Los Angeles, where they've got pieces. They've got Brittany Sykes. They have Kennedy Carter. They have Jordan Canada. They have, and um, sorry, Mecca Gomoke. Well, she's a free agent. You know? Ooh, yes, she did say that question. she wants to be a part of this. I want to put that out there. She did tell, the, I think it was the LA Times, that she wants to be a part of the rebuilding process. And I mean, she's comfortable in LA. She's accomplished a lot in LA. I'd be a little bit surprised to see her move on, but it's just Katie Lou Samuelson and Kennedy Carter right now, according to her hoop stats for guaranteed contracts. And that's not, I mean, there's Ray Burrell um, and a couple of other people that I can't name off the top of my head, but they can do a lot with this roster, especially if they can build around NECA. It kind of seems like finding shooting is going to be the biggest thing for this team. Yeah, and and not just because of my proximity with Sabrina Whitaker, but I think Brittany Sykes is somebody that you can you keep on that roster, especially in a Kurt Miller team where his team defenses are always very good. That's another player you can build around on the defensive end. And besides having NECA like clean up the boards. Brittany Sykes is a disruptor. She is somebody who runs the floor with the ball as well as anybody in the league. She's somebody that you keep on your roster, first and foremost. So I think there's, some, there's like you said, there's a lot of flexibility. It's about getting the coaching staff around him, especially in the position where they've had such instability since Derek Fisher came on board and then left, where he really has to shine, where the team really has to step up. They have to put good coaches around him in order to make that roster achieve to its full, fullest potential. Completely agree with that. And I'm curious what direction Kurt wants to go with after having using that that four big lineup that it's enticing at times, but then you see teams like the Las Vegas Aces who won a championship being able to go small. And I mean, again, that, that's a really well-constructed roster that had many all-stars on it. So maybe that's the exception to the rule. I'm just kind of curious where Kurt wants to go with this and it's going to be, I'm really interested to see how he's able to now just focus on not having to worry about like front office duties and just being on the sideline and who's willing to come play for him as well. Um, it's not like, like Kurt Miller has a reputation in this league or yeah. anything, but like, I'm curious to see like, okay, maybe I wasn't like a player's thinking. I wasn't thinking about LA before because of things have really been up and down the last couple of years. And then you bring in someone who can provide some stability, at least someone who's like been there before. I guess I'm a little bit higher on Kurt Miller than some other people. Like I saw one person say that he's a perennial loser, which I thought it's like, oh my God, that's so, that's too much. <laughs> if you get to the finals and you're able to get to the semifinals as frequently as he did, like, no, to me, a perennial loser is go down to Indianapolis and find <laughs> Indiana fever. Like that to me is more, when you're not even in contention, when the Connecticut Sun ran into an all-time Washington Mystics offense, Seattle Storm team where Stewie was on the come up and 100% yeah. health, and a Chicago Sky team that everyone thought could play up to the level that they played it in the playoffs and just hadn't in the regular season. But that was a team filled with all-time greats. So I just think that when you look at Kurt Miller, the coach, I think that his resume isn't as bad as some people have made it out to be. I don't think it's about the resume. Uh, it's it's about what he said about Candace Parker in that post-game presser, because I'm pretty sure I know who made that quote about him being a perennial loser. I wasn't going to say the name <laughs> of the pod. If you don't know, now you know. And, and that's rubbed people the wrong way. And it's even magnified now that Kurt is going to Candace's old home in Los Angeles. And somebody, I think somebody else said, it's like, well, Candace isn't going back to LA now. We can cross that off her free agent destination list. And they're both professionals. They're both longtime professionals. Kurt got his start in college years ago. Candace has been around basketball nearly pretty much all her life since Anthony was playing in Naperville Central and then Bradley. 
So they're both professions. That being said, I think there is some tension around the league. There's always things that we don't know, right, about players, how they think, how they feel about coaches, how they even feel about certain front offices. And that's why I said stability is the name of the game for LA. This provides them some stability. This provides them a name coach who's had success. But will he be able to attract free agents? Who's the general manager going to be? Are they going to come to LA because of the general manager and then say, well, we got to deal with the coach. Let's see if we can find a common ground second. There's so many questions right now. And, you know, not just pertaining to free agency, not just pertaining to drafting. This provides more questions for them, more questions than answers right now. And I think that's part of being the offseason, but they have to worry about drafting. They have to worry about free agency. They have to worry about the makeup of their team. And to be frank, Kurt has to shed that label of being the coach who can't win the big one. Mike Tebow had to deal with it. The Aces as an organization had to deal with it. I think Becky herself had to deal with it because she was the player who never could get the championship and then to get one as a coach. So Kurt has to deal with that now too. And LA expects success. If you want to be a successful sports franchise in Los Angeles, you have to be successful. Otherwise, people will not care. And the Sparks need LA to care about them. The fans still care. I've talked to... Many people in spaces this season who want the Sparks to be good, who felt shitty about their former players going elsewhere and winning, and they really won. But for the Sparks to be the Sparks, L.A. on the whole has to care about them. So that is, I think, one thing that's got to be first and foremost on Kurt Miller's plate. He has to make splashes and he has to get things done. So that's really interesting to me because I feel like the splash type of acquisitions that they made last offseason is what got them into this position in the first place. But when you go into a season with Kurt Miller versus Derek Fisher, I think it's fair to think that, okay, maybe this could work out a little bit better. I do think, though, that you make a good point. Like, I, it's so hard, right? Because that whole thing with Candace and Kurt got out of hand, and it was bullshit in the moment, but you never know if what those conversations like happen between them afterwards and that there's something to be worked out there if there even needs to be because I think Candace understands especially in this day and age and I feel like the media fatigue has really caught on especially to start off the NBA season um, that things are taken out of context and things are said a certain way that like the first time you hear it it might not be actually how a certain thing was phrased but that comment certainly didn't help (laughs) him <laughs> potentially being able to get a, a person like Candace Parker back. But we'll see. I mean, Candace going back to L.A. would be something else and obviously makes sense for her family. But, like, there's a part of me that wonders if she comes back, that that's enough to get everybody else on the Chicago sky to come back for one more run at this thing. And it just – I've been thinking a lot about our last time that we spoke on the pod and just about the percentage chance that we thought that – certain members of the Chicago sky would have to come back to the franchise in 2023. I think it really all hinges on her. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how, if um, Candace is even priable from the sky or, you know, but if, um, but with this LA situation, I am a little surprised that Latricia Trammell did not get a, like didn't get this position after being with this organization for so long and let's look at this from Connecticut's side, because this is now three teams that we know of that are looking for head coaches in the WNBA, Dallas, Indiana, and now Connecticut is looking for someone to lead their team. And it, the next did say that they are looking for just a head coach and a general manager, not one person to occupy okay. both positions. I'm curious if Latricia Trammell swaps coasts with Kurt Miller and is able to take in that position just as someone that's has experience working with the Spurs. If you've heard that one before, um, spent many years with the Sparks too, just as an assistant coach. I'm curious, like, is there anyone else? I mean, obviously Brandy Poole, the Connecticut Sun assistant coach who's stepped in for Kurt before she's probably the leading candidate heading into Connecticut. But like, is there anyone else that you think should be considered for this Connecticut position? Not off the top of my head. I think we we saw those times where Kurt was out this postseason where Chris, uh, his assistant, I cannot pronounce his last name, um, 
Is Chris Katsavitis? Am I am I thinking of the wrong team? Um, I think oh, so I no, yes, you're right. It's because when Brandy Poole and uh Kurt Miller were out with COVID, he stepped yes. up. Yeah. And I don't I don't think necessarily they would look for that, but I think that they would be more willing to promote from within, which is always kind of a mixed bag. And it's not like they identified, okay, this is the coach in waiting. It wasn't that type of a situation, but uh, nobody else off the top of my head that I can really think of would be a viable coaching candidate. I think promoting um, the trouble is, I guess, promoting from within that determines whether it was a, an organizational, here's what we're going with in terms of their lineup, their, 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 the way that they played, or do you go outside and see if you can do something different with this group of players, the ones that you do retain on your, on your salary. So no, in, in answer to your initial question, I don't think that they're going, that I can't think of another name that I would say, okay, they're going to hire this person or this person would be a quality candidate. But, you know, do you promote from within? Do you bring Do you bring in the same person? Do you bring in somebody from within the organization already? Or do you, like, like you said, go outside of the organization, look to a team that's had some success in a, in a specific area, particularly offensively, and hire that person? I think that's kind of the direction they should go in a little bit is try to make the most out of this offense as well. Even though they do have great defenders in Alyssa Thomas, Jasmine Thomas, and John Quill Jones, I feel like they're going to go with the veteran coach. I could see Pokey Chapman coming in, having gotten to the finals before. I could see someone like that come in and just kind of like reset the vibe in Connecticut as well. I mean, I'm curious to see if there are other veteran coaches out there that are going to want to pursue this job. And if Brandy Poole is not going to be the next head coach, but if I had to put money on it, I do think it is probably going to be Brandy Poole. And one thing that I thought was interesting that Annie Costable, the Chicago Sun-Times reported was that Emery Vatan Sever did not get a coaching interview, like a head coaching interview for, um, or has no, no one reached out to him about that. And I'm surprised because I feel like when you're a top assistant on a really successful team, championship winning team, that you would probably hear something from some front office just being like, hey, let's just hear what your perspective is. What, like, if we were to give you the keys to the organization, like, what would you want? What would, would your view be? Or like, what do you think of our roster? These conversations, and I know he's also coaching right now. I believe he's coaching in Turkey, but I am kind of curious to just, see like what an organization like if you the guy that's just so positive like seriously one of the nicest people you'll ever meet who knows basketball he does a lot of the scouting like how that guy doesn't get an interview I am a little bit curious about how that works and same thing with Tanya Edwards like just someone that's been around for a while just to pique her interest again you should check out Annie's article on sometimes website about this because she does a little bit of real estate on the side. Um, Ann Waters apparently wrote a book that's going to be coming out. It's kind of wild. But I'm just curious, like, what those two need to do to get an interview. Well, I don't know how much leverage the team has in, you know, saying, hey, we want to keep this person. We don't want them to interview. You know, you hear about that in sports, right? It's like, we're not, we won't grant interviews for this person. And with a, a coach like Emery, as you said, who handles a lot of scouting, who's a positive influence on the team. That's somebody you'd want to retain on your staff. Um, I think there, this is, this is a bit of a reach, but there was talk last year about the W not having many women head coaches, not having many women head coaches of color in the league. Yeah. And so that could be uh, an impact as well, where teams are hopefully making that their primary focus of hiring more people like Noel Quinn, or head coaching jobs, and you know that's sometimes where you, you got to deal with it. You've got to you got to take the L in that in that respect. If you're Emory, if you're somebody else who might be qualified for the job, but there are other people more qualified or as qualified who have not gotten the looks in the past. So I think those are those are possibilities, right? Yeah. And maybe it's just not he doesn't feel like it's his time yet. You know, it it could be any number of things. But I guess it is odd for teams not to interview especially when you have somebody like that. But then, you know, for some assistants, it just takes a long time. Yeah. For some assistants, it really just takes a long time where teams don't look at you for varying reasons. They want a veteran coach, like you said. 
they don't necessarily know what direction they want to go in. Some teams are just clueless and they hire the wrong person. Yeah. So Emory could be on benches for a long time, maybe another four or five years before he ever gets the shot. But I've been around this guy long enough to know that the coaching staff has been pretty, pretty, pretty damn good. And so I think he'd be somebody who'd get a look down the line. It just depends on which team calls calls first, what they're looking for, and if it's the right fit. I completely agree with all of that. And it should be teams' priorities to hire women of color or someone that doesn't identify within the gender binary because there are plenty of coaches out there. Like one that I haven't really thought about this, so bear with me with this, but what if Teresa Witherspoon was interested in coming back from the NBA and potentially coaching a WNBA team? I mean, if a team is willing to put their money where their mouth is, I'm curious if that's something that we could see more like the pipeline from WNBA player or coach going to the NBA, if that gets crushed a little bit by being there, just being more coaching opportunities in the W. I mean, one thing I just think that teams have to brace for is that dynamic kind of shifting once there are more teams and there's more resources where you can have just one person focus on that select job instead of trying to dip their feet into all these different pools because it's it's really hard to do both jobs it's very few people in sports history and really honestly if you just look at it more in the last 20 30 years that have been successful being able to occupy both of those positions so um so i think that's enough kurt miller's son (laughs) this is chicago sky podcast but we're branching out we're branching out the chicago sky podcast (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the 2023 WNBA draft. So on November 11th, the the draft lottery is going to be announced and the Chicago sky have the fifth pick. They are outside of the lottery, but there are a lot of good prospects coming in and I'm excited to see who you're excited about to see at the next level, because there's a couple of names that one that we've talked about on this podcast with diamond Miller, who to me is like after Aaliyah Boston has got to be, one of the biggest gems in the draft and I can already see her in sky blue and yellow <laughs> running in transition with Cobb. but who excites you about like for coming into the league next year? It's, it's tough to say outside of the top, you know, the top two Aaliyah diamond. I like Haley Jones a lot. I do like Haley Jones a lot. And those, are, those should be your top three picks no matter what, which is interesting. You know, does, do this guy try to trade up? Um, Ashley Jones is somebody who's gotten a lot of who's gotten some some publicity, but I remember we talked about that. Well, that's just because you went to Iowa, man. It was like no, I know cool. that vibes. I told you what I how I feel about. Oh, that. that's true. My bad. Bachelor <laughs> degree university. <laughs> um, I it's it's tough because I need to watch. Let me fully admit that again. I need to watch more on the college game, but boy. We we uh, the 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 mock draft that I found on lines.com lists Elizabeth Kitley as the fifth pick, and they've listed Elizabeth Kitley as the fifth pick. I think the last couple of months, I think their top five has has been unchanged. And I took a look at her, and she's she's nice for a big. She's got good footwork. She rebounds well. She runs the floor well. Um, she can shoot that turnaround jump shot with regularity. The problem is she doesn't really shoot the ball from outside at all. And not just in a changing league, in a changing basketball landscape, in a James Wade system, you need your big to be able to step outside and shoot from the outside. I think it's something that she could learn. We've seen tons of bigs in all levels of basketball learn to shoot the three now because otherwise they won't have staying power. But I I think it's she looks, in terms of the WNBA, still pretty raw. I don't know how long if she would be able to make a roster, and I don't know if you, that's somebody you draft with your top pick, uh, your first round pick, in the, in the in, especially in this draft. So I think I would love to see them trade up for Diamond Miller. I think if you do let Candace go, then you can at least come back with a strong prospect and somebody who does not have to carry the offensive load. We saw Ryan Howard do it with Atlanta, but they felt they came that close to making the playoffs. And right now, if you bring in Diamond and let Candace go, then you still got her with conceivably Kalia Copper as the primary offensive option. Hopefully, you know, if you get more burn for Ruthie, you have Azari Stevens still ready to step into an increased role as well. 
So I think if you if you are willing to, depending on what you're willing to, to part ways with, and considering that the fifth pick is not that far of a step down from the fourth or third, maybe, well, maybe they trade up. I have a hard time imagining, unless James Wade is completely in love with the prospect, that he's going to trade up for the uncertainty of a WNBA prospect. Like, I do think that with that number five pick, which has a lot of value this year, like last year, I think you it might have looked, Yeah, there was a clearly like two separate tiers. And it's funny because I think a lot of people who were, I remember just seeing the timeline go and people weren't necessarily high on the players outside of the top two or three. A lot of those players got decent burn last year and yeah. were impressive. Queen Egbo is a name that I remember quite clearly. People were like, I'm not sure. And even in a topsy-turvy Indiana team, she looked impressive. I was wrong. I thought that she was going to have a real hard time coming into the W. And I always wonder, like, how much of this or these stats that we see are contributed to just getting tick, like you just said, versus, like, you know, Shakira Austin, I think her numbers are incredibly deceiving based on, I think she averaged, like, what, like, eight and six, eight and seven oh, last yeah. year. But we know how good she was. Incredible. You just got, I mean, again, the, you can only do so much with the data in front of you. So, I, but going back to what you were saying, I don't, I have a hard time seeing James Wade trading up in a WNBA draft because I do think he wants to win now. I think that he's always thinking about, he's, he's, when you win a championship, I'm already thinking about the next one, is what he's saying, you know? And I'm curious if, if the Sky are unable to retain. Courtney, Candace Parker, you know, if Allie Quigley retires and we just see some other pieces go in free agency, I am curious to see if he would want to hold on to that number five pick because, you know, Diamond Miller could fall in the draft potentially. And the injury is a, is a concern for teams, I think, yeah. I think there's that in offensive consistency. You know, there was times at, during her career that, she again just had like on like back to back games. It just wouldn't be the same. But we're talking about a college kid right now, and yeah. you, you can teach offensive consistency if you just are able to get in the gym and again just like kind of prepare yourself for the endurance that it takes to be successful at the WNBA level. I'm completely sold on Diamond Miller. Just just watching her in the Big Ten tournament last year, even though she was a little bit hobbled, just trying to get back. Like man. I think that she's going to be excellent at the next level and athletic wings. I'm always just going to be in love with that type of skill set more than anything. But is there anybody else that you are excited about in terms of the WNBA draft? I just want to see Haley Jones, man. Yeah. I really like Haley Jones a ton. I, I don't know where she'll go. Uh, it's, it's tough on the lottery and just thinking about it. Minnesota has a kind of a log jam for their front court. So, well, sorry, there's no Sylvia Fowles anymore. But I don't know if you pick Haley Jones when you have Nafisa Collier. Can you put those two players together? Am I wrong? You give me a look like, are you serious? What if it's Aaliyah Boston? They somehow get that. Aaliyah Boston, right? You just pick Aaliyah Boston no matter what. Could you imagine if Cheryl's able to finagle a the number one overall pick and this goes from Sylvia Fowles to Aaliyah Boston. Please no. Like, please no. No. That's so good for the league. That's what? so what? good for the league. That's good for the league. Man, you know what, Minnesota? Minnesota, I don't have beef with you. I don't have beef with you as a state. Y'all are cool. But that Lynx Sky unsaid rivalry, like I watched the Lynx always beat the Sky until last year. <laughs> and now if y'all get Aaliyah Boston, bro, like that's not even fair. Cheryl Reeve had a kind of difficult season this year. Like, it wasn't the end of the world. There was there was so much inconsistency, sure. But Minnesota was in the playoff picture on the final weekend. Nuts. And they lost one game. They lost, what is it, two of their games? I think they lost one of two, and they missed the playoffs. And then if you do that, and then you get Aaliyah Boston, that's not right. That ain't right. <laughs> Something That's like the Spurs having that one bad year and getting Tim Duncan. <laughs> yeah, that's still a crime to this day. But so this is a Celtics fan right here. This is a Celtics. Oh, fan. I'm not a Celtics fan, man. <laughs> no, all Boston sports flush down the toilet. Oh, yeah. oh God, fuck them. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> people are gonna think I'm a Connecticut Sun fan. Uh, <laughs> 
But I do think for the league, it would just be great for Aaliyah Boston to end up in Minnesota. Because one thing I actually think that is the worst case scenario for the Chicago Sky. Because there's less of an incentive for Courtney Vandersloot to go to Minnesota when there's no one really an obvious on court fit for like someone to just come in and replace Sylvia Fowles. Like, I don't think there's a perfect Sylvia Fowles replacement in this point in time. Maybe not quite yet. You know, maybe Bree Jones is someone that they end up getting. I'm kind of curious to see what happens with her in Connecticut, but for the sky, you don't want Aaliyah Boston going to Minnesota at this point, because I do think that those two together would be incredible. But one other player that I want to talk about, that really impressed me in the Big Ten tournament last year. And just in general, like watching Nebraska last year, I think it's going to be really hard for her to make the WNBA in a league that just, it's just so hard to like stand out. And even if you're one of the best players in the world, you might not even make it on a roster. So take this with a grain of salt. But Jazz Shelley out of Nebraska, This she's 5'9". She was with Oregon for a little bit, but she transferred out and she had a really solid season for Nebraska last year. She made them a top 25 team, or at least on the brink of being a top 25 team. And she averaged like 13, five and six. She's someone that turns the ball over a little bit, but her shooting numbers, Chris, it's just insane. Like she shot 42.3% on catch and shoot threes, 40% on jumpers when she was guarded and shot 53.9% at shots at the rim. She's someone that can finish. She's not like a three-level scorer. She just, you know, I'd say she's a two-level scorer. But she's someone that, I mean, she set a record for three-pointers in one game at Nebraska. She hit nine against Illinois during the Big Ten tournament. And it was just one of the best shooting exhibitions I've ever seen. And again, there's only so much that you can do with that. We're talking about almost an empty stadium you know, when it's like it's like almost like a scrimmage at that point. But Jess Shelley is someone who can shoot the lights out from three. And I'm curious if depending on where she would go in the WNBA, whether she would kind of have kind of benefit from not being the focal point of another team's game plan, kind of like Veronica Burton before she left Northwestern, because Veronica Burton had no one around her. And all due respect to the people at Northwestern, but they didn't have anyone that averaged more than 10 points a game and just watched Veronica Burton last year, I mean, the year before, they would just collapse on her. And now Veronica Burton with the Dallas Wings only has to really worry about being a hawk on the perimeter, getting her teammates involved. And I'm assuming that she's probably going to spend the entire offseason in the gym working on her her three-point shot. But at the same time, I do think that she is someone like if you look at how her what her trajectory was coming into the WNBA and Jazz Shelley, who had a way better team than Veronica Burton did at Northwestern. It's not perfect like that. But when you remove her from that situation where she's the focal point of the, the other team's game plan, I'm curious how she can be turn herself into this off ball threat who can run a little pick and roll for you. If that will be attractive to a WNBA team. I mean, she's got Olympic experience coming from Australia. Like I'm really intrigued by what she does with Nebraska to see if her draft stock increases, but have you watched Jazz Shelley at all? I mean, I can't imagine anyone watching a ton of Nebraska games last season, given how low no, that's the the thing. I'm still like confused that Nebraska's in the big 10. <laughs> yeah. It still blows me <laughs> off. I have not had the chance to see her. And a lot of the times when we're on this podcast, the players you mentioned are, are notable names to watch. So this draft, as well as as much as I know that this is going to be a top quality draft, and there's names that we haven't even mentioned, one that I have on my computer right now that I'll get to, um, it's something that that's on my radar now. I got the chance to watch a lot of the names in the Big Ten that were that were mentioned, as well as like SEC close by schools. Um, you know, Ryan Howard was last year, Caitlin Clark, obviously. And then um, I, Veronica Burton, because she's fairly local, and my good friend goes to Northwestern, and he will talk yes. anything Northwestern, no matter what. So shout out to my guy, Austin. But that's a player that, that's another player to watch. I want to see who comes out locally um, in terms of Chicago and the area. So it's on my radar now to watch. And it's good to have a player like that in your back pocket, I think, as, um, as an analyst and as a coach, because... I think we're getting more towards the time where we're going to have some three-year players 
in in women's college ball as the overseas market opens up as expansion finally happens there's going to be some players who might come out early it's not happening now but it might come soon and then you have a player like jazz shelley who can stay for their senior year get more experience hopefully stay injury free and then they get the looks like veronica burton did like even some of the players who have hardship contracts did uh, this past season i think one other player i am excited to see is maddie segrist just looking stats wise yeah and um the Big East is, especially now that Connecticut's back in, I think the Big East is a quality conference. Yes. Um, it's been a quality conference. You've had Marquette, uh, DePaul, and Villanova, to be frank. And, and Maddie Segrist, I like her as a tall three-level scorer, somebody who can shoot the three outside. She runs through screens very well, and she finishes strong through contact. And I think that's hard to find. When when Megan Gustafson was leading the world in a lot of categories, you could tell it was not necessarily playing against inferior competition, but there's times where you can just get away with being big down low and being able to go up and just go up and go up and go up. When I look at Maddie Segrist, she's a player who can finish through that contact, but she's got technical, technically sound footwork by the rim. She goes up for the offensive glass. And you've got to follow her pretty much everywhere because she can hit in the mid-range, she can hit in the paint, and she can hit from three. Her three-point stats haven't changed that much over her career. She started out in her career 32 and a half, raised it to 36 after the pandemic, and then went down to 34 and like just above 34 and a half. That's not bad, especially for somebody you have as a small power forward, kind of that tweener forward on the uh, in the post. And that's somebody who might be in that range of the number five pit, not a world beater, not a we are going to stop the world to get this player person, but somebody who you could reasonably have on your team. That again begs the question, <laughs> what do you do with Ruthie Hebert? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that, but I want to see what Maddie Segrist does this year. Me too. I'm really excited to watch her because I think she was picked before the season to be the Big East player of the year. I mean, think that's about a, how big a statement that's that a is. That's a big fucking deal. Yeah. You have Azzy Bud on another team. Oh, man. We're hearing great things about her. So I'm I'm really excited to watch the Big East, but also for Anissa Morrow. Yes. Just, man, now that she – look, that was a veteran team last year for DePaul. I'm curious if they just – Give her the keys, and man, because she's someone that can play make. Like I've, she's one of the best high school basketball players I've ever seen. And yeah, I mean, I watched her play in that Simeon team that won state, and man, that the, the talent on that team is just ridiculous. <laughs> but she's someone that ran the floor, hitting threes. I mean, she she likes to get to that mid range shot. She didn't really showcase it that much because she didn't need to. Like she could just get to the rim, and it was just like. And I think she scored like over 25 points despite having pneumonia during this like uh semifinals game. Like it's oh, that's she, disgusting. Yeah, no, I mean she's someone that is I two years from now, man. Two years from now, I think she could be a lottery pick pretty easily. But and that's something that you that's the thing. It's like, do you come out early and just get in the draft, or do you wait nah. for that lottery money? No, nah, man, that NIL money is so good right now. Oh, okay. You that's know, good point. You know, like Women's basketball players, I think, average the highest amount of money per social media post. And, man, I mean, I'm sure that's propelled by Paige Beckers to a certain degree. And um, I can't think of her name, Hannah from fucking Louisville. Um, oh. What is it? Haley Bandlith? Yeah. Like, I do think that those two probably prop that up quite a bit. But I am curious to see how the NIL deals impact college sports just for a while now because of that but um chris let's wrap it up with some euro league i haven't i have been getting ready for one i got a new job at clutch point so i'm excited that i'm going to be writing about women's sports over there i'm going to try to do some league-wide coverage of the w this year as well but so i've been i've been preparing for that and the college season Tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that's happening with the Chicago Skies overseas. Well, is, I know everybody outside of, of a few people has trouble, have, have stated they have had trouble finding information, trouble finding ways to watch overseas. I'll tell you this. Once EuroLeague starts, once the EuroLeague bracket starts, check YouTube. 
A lot of times they'll put those games on YouTube for free. They want people to watch. And so live your life without a paywall as much as you possibly can until the paywall goes up. So check YouTube, keep an eye on FIBA, it'll be out there. So I wasn't able to find too much information, but I think a couple of names that'd be of interest to Sky fans are Dana Evans and Rebecca Gardner. Uh, Rebecca Gardner's back with Spargerona, who had such a good campaign last year. And she's been what you'd expect from Rebecca Gardner, consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, she play, They played Valencia on October 5th. She had 12, 6, and 5, shot 6 of 10 from the field against Encina Lugo. She had 10 points, and then she had 14 points and 6 boards the other day, along with, take a guess, 5 steals. <laughs> uh, in that Valencia game, I think she had 6 steals. So if you you know Rebecca Gardner. She's going to she's going to pick your pocket, and I had an argument with somebody who just I guess wanted to fight that day because <laughs> I said that she was I said that she was um, I put up a stat you know kind of somewhat cherry picked but I think just her her numbers in a lot of different categories from my weekly rundown of you know here's my update in the rankings for the week and she was very high on efficiency very high on steals per game as you would imagine. And there was something specific that she was averaging that only like a few other rookies were. And it was like Ryan Howard and another, a few other named rookies. And they were basically like, why are you putting them in the same category when they don't play the same roles on their team? Rebecca Gardner is a player who, who could have gotten, should have gotten some rookie of the year votes last year. We knew she wasn't going to win it. She didn't have the stats, but she had such an impact on their team that she was one of the primary focal points of the sky second unit. And by the end of the season, she was sometimes the this first or second person off the bench, not just the first guard off the bench. She was the first or second player off the bench in key games. So even as, you know, even if she's 31, even if she's 32, it doesn't really matter. You're coming into a new environment. And so keep just so you know, Spargerona, Rebecca Gardner is going to be on that team. She's going to be performing all winter long. With Dana Evans, she's with Besiktas in, um, in Turkey, in Istanbul. And here's very um, important to note. The men's team is Besiktas JK. The women's team is Besiktas GKN Cargo. I don't know why. The sponsor is slightly different. But she's on that team with Michaela Onyenwede. So it'll be interesting to see how much how much time Dana Evans gets. And she had a really, like, blockbuster first game with them. Like 28 points. Yeah. Right? Something like that. She shot crazily which is kind of confusing because she's come back down to earth her next two games. It was kind of like what we saw this past W season where she got that start in the game one against the Sparks and lit the world up and then just kind of slowly came back. You know, those were circumstantial reasons for some to some degree, but it's worth keeping an eye on because they're going to play some decent competition with Russia's war against Ukraine. A lot of talent, I think, is going to go to Turkey primarily because they are a country that just really, really, really bangs with their sports teams. The Galatasaray and Besiktas, Svenerbash, like the whole Istanbul area of sports is incredibly competitive. Those are fierce rivalries. And so all of those teams want top quality players. And being on a team with Michaela Onyenwede, I think is going to, one, make Dana Evans better. She's going to have to be a good playmaker and she's going to have the opportunity to shine as an offensive force. So I'm looking forward to see if her numbers increase again because she got ex- she got high minutes in those three games. And I'm not sure exactly why she didn't perform the same way in the next two as she did in the first one. Can you give us those stats? Um, in the first game, she was 5-14 from three. Uh, was it was 28 minutes, 4-12 from two, so 9 of 26. So it was a high volume. And then... Uh, four of 15 the next game, 12 points, and then five of 19 in the next game for 11 points. And she has not hit a three since that first game. So I don't know if it's just growing pains. It's it's worth trying to f- see if you can steal some stream somewhere and see if you can check a Bashik this game because we know Dana Evans is a good three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, she keeps getting sponsorships, which is fantastic. So I want her to succeed. I know the I know all of you who watch our show, all of you who are Sky fans want Dana Evans to succeed. So if you can steal a stream somewhere, if you can avoid getting a virus on your computer, find a Besiktas game. Uh, They'll be playing all winter long in Turkey. 
if you're really rich, just go to Istanbul yeah. to see them play. <laughs> we need that Skyhook sponsorship money so we can do that. But I I love those numbers from Dana. I don't care about the points at this point. Really? I, the volume. Okay. Get those shots up. Dana Evans is going to have a big 2023 WNBA season, whether that's with the Sky or whether it's elsewhere. If I think a lot of it depends on if the Sky are able to retain all those veterans, and if she like has to go back to that same role she had before. Or if the sky kind of, you know, navigate the the scene being like, you know what, I think that it makes sense for us to like reboot in two years, like over the next two years and stay competitive, but still start to build something from the ground up again. And I think that if they do that, God, they got to give Dana Evans the keys, man. She is a special player. And I do think that one of the things that she talked about was, wanting to improve as a facilitator when going overseas, how much development comes from that, whether, I mean, James Wade is closer to Istanbul than we are. I mean, he can, <laughs> he can probably go see her and when she comes closer to him, you know, so I'm curious to see how that all is. I mean, obviously I think the priority would be to just be like throw the kitchen sink at keeping these veterans, obviously, but Dana Evans is going to have an enormous 2023 season. She's someone that if I was a degenerate sports gambler would be, I'd be looking at the most improved player list and and see where her odds are, because I think that's coming. And it's been pretty exciting too, to see her get some of these sponsorship deals. Like, I don't know if you saw what Louisville did with the eyelashes. Eyelash vending machine. Genius. That is genius. It was incredible like that's how you should be marketing again when we look at nil money when it comes to women's basketball players they make the most money per social media post on average this is how you market your best athletes and dana is someone that's super popular she's with the jordan brand like i love what she's doing from a business perspective but more importantly i love what she's going to bring to the table in 2023 because she can shoot the lights out and I think that there's a way to make it work even with someone like shorter guards to just have a tougher time in the league. I think that there's ways for her to overcome that. So I'm sorry that was such a, like a Dana. No, Evans like tangent, that, but we, you know, we love Dana Evans. And that's the thing. Like, I think people think that I don't like Dana Evans. You were being a realist. I was just in terms of look and look, I haven't talked to this guy since the season ended. And even before then, like, I had not talked about the like Julie Alamon a lot with this guy, quite honestly. I think that if you were to bring someone like Julie Alamon into the fold, they probably had an expectation for how many minutes she was going to play. And you don't want to piss off players by being like, actually, no, we're going to give you this role. Take it away. Look at how that looks with the rest of the league, trying to get free agents to come into your organization. Right. That situation doesn't exist anymore, Chris. And now all they have is minutes to, like right at least right now they have a lot of minutes that could be eaten up and i think dana evans should be considered highly for being able to consume some of them because she is special and i think that what she looks like in 2023 is gonna um, not necessarily shock people but i think they're gonna see like her scoring average is gonna jump up quite a bit so well she's like i said she's gonna be playing in a fairly tough domestic league in turkey Besiktas has a long way to go if they want to make Euros. They're 0-3 right now, um, even with that 28 points that she scored in the first game. So Because hope you would hope that she would be able to play in the continental competition against the talent that is going to be there. But, like I said, long way to go. And no matter what, she'll be getting the experience she needs. Completely agree. Chris, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up the podcast? Man, I gotta go back to this pumpkin, man. Like, check this thing out. Look at, look at that. Look at that. That's like, that's Gord Central. <laughs> I know. We know. We know who listens to our show. We know we watch it. We know who watches the show. We know y'all love arts and crafts. <laughs> we know y'all love this season. So you gotta give it up to my man here and Maggie for having. Look at this thing, man. All right. No, it's cool. It's cool though. Um, that is that is really all I had. <laughs> it's like. Oh, it's going to be exciting. I think this is the time of the year. Be be like me and Ben. Watch more college sports. Watch more women's college sports. The, the field is more equitable now. 
players are making money off their names. Oh, yeah. So this is definitely the time to watch. And I think especially in the women's game, um, all of the meatball guys out there who don't actually care about women's basketball, they're finally getting their wish. People can jump, bro. People can jump now. They're going to start dunking on the run. You're going to have no more excuses. So definitely, uh, this is going to be a fun year to watch. And Bradley, baby, it's Bradley's time. <laughs> we got new people in the Missouri Valley Conference. We're going to beat them all. UIC, Missouri State, Belmont, Valparaiso, Trick. <laughs> I don't care. We're, it's Bradley time. That's all I have. You know those meatheads are going to be like, raise the rim. <laughs> They're like, no, we need something. There's nothing else that we can do. You're saying lower the rim. I know. Now it's going to be like, we've got nothing left to say. <laughs> we need to raise that rim. Um, <laughs> that's a fun part to end it on. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> Chris, so glad we got a chance to do this again, man. And do it in person, which is really fun. Oh, but, it's perfect. Yeah. I, we should do this more often. I think... <laughs> I love this thing. You now we got this camera going right now That's that we cool. can just talk to the audience. Look, look, you're right there. Hey, everybody, you're right there. Hey. Um, <laughs> too mad at me, man. Um, but really, y'all, thank you so much for tuning into our show. If you want to contact us, you can always do so by emailing our mailbag, which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And we have a newsletter now. We have the Skyhook newsletter. I'm really excited about all the possibilities with that. And yeah, just check that out for extra notes. It's in our link tree, which is on our Twitter page. And you know what? I'll add it to our episode description for today as well. So you can check that out. So all the people that listen to our show that aren't on Twitter, one, God bless you for holding on for so long without Twitter. I'm envious of you. Um, but also, this is going to be a way for us to connect with you. And that's really important to me and Chris. So we're excited for that. But anything else in terms of the where you can find us on social media, you can do that by checking out the episode description as well. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And until next time.